Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we are finishing up the prequel trilogy. Yahoo! Revenge of the Sith Part 2. Wow. So to recap what has been happening, uh, first we have Ahsoka get together with the Mandalorians and then lay waste to Mandalore and fight off Maul. Then we've seen Obi-Wan and Anakin called back to Coruscant where they rescue the Chancellor. Anakin is asked to spy on the Chancellor while Kenobi is sent to Utapau to beat up Grievous, which he ends up doing. Which he does. So, Dooku, dead. Grievous, dead. Oddball, dead. R4, dead. And then, right at the end of the first half of this, Anakin confronts Palpatine because Palpatine's been being real shady about his motivations and his knowledge and admits that he is, in fact... The Darth Lord. The Dark Lord of the Sith. The, <laughs> the Darth, Darth Lord, Lord of works the Sith. too. <laughs> Darth Lordis. <laughs> so we start off here, and we're at about an hour and seven minutes in of Revenge of the Sith. So Anakin goes to Mace, who's hopping aboard a gunship with Kit Fisto, Sacyton, Agent Kolar to go arrest the Chancellor. I forgot that Anakin tells Mace Windu that Palpatine is a Sith Lord. And so I imagine Mace is doing great because he's like, wow, I just put Anakin on this for like 15 minutes and Anakin figured it out. No wonder he has such a great reputation. I wonder what I should tell him to do. Oh, go sit in the Jedi Council chamber and stay out of it. And so Anakin is grouchy about this and he's looking out from the temple at the city. He's looking at Padme. Padme's looking at him. There's this long back and forth over the skyline of Coruscant. It is gorgeous. However, Anakin is crying, and he decides to hop in his car. Meanwhile, four Jedi walk in and decide to arrest Palpatine. Palpatine goes full murder blunder, decides that he is the Senate, immediately <laughs> kills Kit Fisto, Agent Kolar, and Sacy Tin. Everyone goes down in single strokes, except for Mace Windu. Mace Windu is... Getting beat up, but they end up in the big red council chambers with the window blown out. Mace is ready to arrest Palpatine right as Palpatine is lying there, his lightsaber thrown out the window, and he's been shocking Mace. With force lightning. With force lightning. Anakin comes in, and Mace says he's too dangerous to be left alive. He controls the courts. Like, we have to kill him. And Anakin says... No, right as Mace is about to smite down Palpatine, Anakin chops off his hand and then Palpatine force lightnings Mace into the Coruscant skyline. So rip Mace Windu. Anakin has no idea what he's done. He says, what have I done? <laughs> and Palpatine is all force mutilated now. The As he was shocking Mace Windu, it was mutilating his face and melting him. His voice is all horrible and like bulging with disgusting force energy. And Anakin just sinks down to his knees and pledges himself to the dark side of the force. And Palps dubs him Darth Vader. Oh. Yoda immediately gets a nasty vibe on Kashyyyk. So Palpatine says, Anakin, you're the only Jedi who isn't an enemy of the Republic, and you must kill them all. Go to the temple and take out all of them. Kill every Jedi there. Then go to Mustafar and clean things up. So there's an absolutely horrible scene as the 501st marches behind Anakin into the Jedi temple, and they start massacring 
everyone. And Palpatine pulls out his communicator, phones everyone, and says, execute Order 66. The time has finally come. The inhibitor chips that we have known are in the brains of all the clones for two seasons of The Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Activate. The clones' personalities are wiped out. Their only mission, their overriding purpose in life is to kill any Jedi they see. So we watch as Commander Cody aims his artillery up and shoots at Kenobi, who had just received retrieved his lightsaber and is climbing his Veractal up a cliff. Kenobi gets shot down the cliff. Yoda is falling apart as this is all happening. Kiadi Mundi gets shot on a bridge. Ayla Secura gets gunned down in a mushroom field on Felucia. Plo Koon shot down in his starfighter over Kata Nemoidia. Stas Ali shot down on Seleucami by her clones on a speeder bike. And they go down so easy because they trusted the clones they were with with their lives. On Kashyyyk, where Yoda is, there's a massive ongoing battle. And Commander Gree, who's wearing cool green Kashyyyk uniform, gets the order, comes up right close to Yoda, is ready to take him out. Yoda senses something wrong, and he does the old yeet and decapitate. <laughs> Chops them both down and then climbs aboard a Wookiee and heads off. Not even the sight of Yoda clambering up a Wookiee's arm and riding around like a tiny backpack could comfort me in that scene. So Padme is losing it and C-3PO is comforting her as she watches from her apartment, which has a clear view of the Jedi Temple, as the Jedi Temple burns. And Bail Organa shows up. At the Jedi Temple is like, hey, I'm a senator. What is going on? And the clones stop him. Although like 10 clones stop him and a Padawan comes out, kills like six of the clones trying to escape. Bale climbs into his car and speeds off. Yeah, pour one out for that youngling. Oh my God. Dang. Kenobi gets in Grievous's ship and flies up. He phones into base and he gets Bale Organa who says that something is wrong I've met with Yoda, meet me at these coordinates, and they end up meeting up. Anakin is confronting Padme, and he tells her that he saw Mace Windu attempt to assassinate the Chancellor, and that he can only hope that some of the Jedi are still loyal to the Chancellor. Padme doesn't believe any of this, Mm -hmm. but Anakin has work to do, and he's off to Mustafar. So we have this three plots going now. First... The Jedi, the remaining two Jedi, Yoda and Obi-Wan, are going back to the temple to dismantle the lying message to return, the false message. Yeah, so there's a signal luring Jedi back to the temple, Mm -hmm. which is obviously a trap. So they go to dismantle that. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Separatists are like, oh, welcome, Lord Vader. And Lord Vader's like, let me just shut these doors and take my time slicing and dicing all of you. And... Masameda has called Bail Organa for a special session. So Bail Organa and Padme are in the Senate chambers as Palpatine is giving his speech, saying, The attack by the Jedi has left me scarred and deformed, but my resolve is stronger than ever. We are forming the first galactic empire. He lifts up his arms and we get Padme's best line of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So that's how Liberty dies with thunderous applause. So we get to the temple and Yoda walks out of the surveillance room and Kenobi is just fixing the message with a subtlety. So it'll take some time to recognize it. He says, Kenobi says, I have to figure out who does this. Yoda's like, you don't. 
This is because they had to walk through the bodies of many, many dead younglings who in the been, Jedi Temple. Who had been killed with lightsabers. Yeah, and Yoda's like, don't, seriously, don't. And Obi-Wan is like, I have to know. And they see video of Anakin murdering younglings. Hard to come back from that. So they need to fight the Sith. They are aware of the Sith. And Kenobi begs Yoda to be the one to go after Sidious because he can't kill Anakin. But Yoda says, you're not strong enough and you need to go and chase down Anakin. Kenobi doesn't know where he's going to be. Yoda says, trust your feelings. So Kenobi goes to Padme and he's distraught and says, I've seen video of Anakin killing younglings. Padme says, I don't believe that. I can't believe that. Kenobi says, Anakin's the father, isn't he? I'm so sorry. And then he flies off. Padme climbs aboard her ship. And right as she's about to take off, we see Obi-Wan following his feelings, climb aboard the ramp and into the little astromech slot. And Somehow out. they both know to find him on Mustafar, which is like a little bit of hand wavy plot nonsense. Well, but... no, uh, Kenobi knows that wherever Padme goes is to follow Anakin. And Padme knows where Anakin is because he told her. Yeah. So that's what she, that's why she's following. Oh, okay. Uh, meanwhile, in Palpatine's office, Palpatine is telling Vader to turn off all the droids. But as he does, Padme arrives on Mustafar and is ready to confront Anakin. And she says, Kenobi said you killed the Bebes and joined the dark side. And Kenobi knows about the children. I only want your love. And Anakin says, but my new powers can save you. And together we can rule the galaxy. And she says, Kenobi was right. You've changed. And he says, the Jedi have turned against me. Don't you turn against me. Yeah. And then he gets very angry because coming down the ramp, enter scene left, is Obi-Wan Kenobi onto the burning fields of Mustafar. Anakin force chokes Padme and Obi-Wan stops her and they're having this incredible fight on who's blaming who. And Anakin is completely off his rocker. He's blaming everyone you've turned her against me and obi-wan says you've done that yourself anakin says if you're not with me then you're my enemy only a sith deals in absolutes i will do what i must you will try and it is extreme mustafar lava fight time meanwhile on coruscant yoda walks into the chancellor's office the imperial guards try to stop him he's like nah and they get into an absolutely bonkers fight so simultaneously, we have two epic duels going on in the Senate chambers, back and forth, flinging those discs that they ride on between Yoda and Palpatine and through the control room of Mustafar until Anakin slices a load-bearing panel and then they're on a lava field jumping back and forth. They have the same moves. They're doing the same things. There's moments where they perfectly counter each other because they're they're combat partners. They've practiced every single move. Eventually, on the lava river, they're bouncing back and forth, and they've got down to like one square meter of hover panel on a lava river. Obi-Wan is pushed off of it and lands on the banks of the lava river and says, I have failed you, Anakin. It's over. I have the high ground. Don't try it. Anakin tries it. <laughs> Obi-Wan takes off his legs and his remaining human arm. And then... Anakin's eyes go full yellow. Kenobi picks up his lightsaber. Anakin says, I hate you. 
Obi-Wan says a message and I don't know if it's his message or the message he carried for Ahsoka that said, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. As Anakin gets closer and closer to lava, ignites and is on fire. Kenobi can't bear to watch his friend die and walks away. Padme and Anakin are both rushed to the hospital. Different different hospitals. Yes, because Yoda has been defeated by Palpatine. He can't match his power. He's crawled out. Bail Organa has rescued him. And Bail and Yoda fly to a, the asteroid base of Polis Massa, where they meet up with Kenobi, Padme, C-3PO, and R2. Meanwhile, Palpatine recognizes that Vader is in danger and flies to Mustafar to rescue him. He picks up his body and together we have these comparing scenes. As Anakin dies, it becomes Lord Vader. Padme is dying while giving birth to surprise twins. No one apparently moved. I guess they didn't move her medical records with her when she flew I guess they don't know how to do an ultrasound in Star Wars. Yeah. This is what happens when you have men write scripts. (laughs) Anyway, she gives birth to Luke and Leia and then dies. And then dies. And then we do denouement and we get the last few messages here. Vader learns that Padme has died and he's Palpatine says, it seems in your anger you killed her. And then he smiles with a sinister intent as Anakin Vader now screams into the void. Yoda says, hey, Obi-Wan, before you take Luke to Tatooine to live with his family, an old friend has learned the path to immortality. It's the last message from your old master, Qui-Gon Jinn. Bail Organa says, hey, these droids, you now belong to Captain Ramus Antilles. Please make sure to wipe C-3PO's memory. And Yoda decides that the twins should be split up. Mm-hmm. Leia will go with Bail Organa. Luke will go to his stepfamily on Tatooine. And Obi-Wan will watch over him. And that is where we end it with somehow a high note after all of that, that the kids are all right, that the droids are clean and safe. And although we've now entered the era of the Empire, the forces of evil are somewhat weakened. Yeah, somehow we end this movie on the sun literally setting across the galaxy as we zoom towards like the new hellscape of the Galactic Empire. But there's this beautiful feeling that the story isn't over yet. Yeah. So that's Revenge of the Sith for like 15 years. That was the last word of Star Wars. Wow. So that's how Newt Gunray dies. Oh, yeah. He's like, we were told there'd be peace. And Anakin's like, you were told there'd be pieces. Ja, ja, ja. <laughs> the whole Clone Wars. I was like, wow, I hope Newt Gunray dies in this arc. And I had to wait until the last 15 minutes of the last movie of the prequel era yeah. to see Newt You know, Gunray he got die. what he wanted, too, which is that Padme died for embarrassing him. Oh, so, man. Yeah, God. really, at the end of it all, Newt Gunray won. That's dark. That's dark, <laughs> Sam. Sam is to be commended for plotting this movie. I am deeply grateful that we split the feature films into two podcast episodes, because if we were plotting this entire movie, it would take half an hour. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, it's a two-hour movie, and the second half of it has 
all the action. It all comes together right away. I love the halfway point we picked, ending at the death of Grievous at Obi-Wan's hand for last episode, because Grievous's death is a triumph. And Mm -hmm. then as soon as we pick up to start the second half of the movie, it turns out that was the last high point of this story. We pick up this half of the movie with that gorgeous scene of Anakin and Padme staring out at each other across Coruscant at sunset. The sun is setting on their old lives. Mm -hmm. Anakin, with a tear sliding down his cheek, is deciding to turn to the dark side. Yeah. And then this whole movie, it's it's like going down a waterfall. There's this sense of just rushing toward the inevitable. Yeah. And you just know it's going to hurt at the bottom. What's funny about that is that you recognize that pain as a viewer who's watching these in this order. Because Star Wars fans who had only watched the movies from 1977 would have been like, okay, so we know Anakin becomes Darth Vader. We know that Luke and Leia are brother and sister. And now we know how that came to be. And it's really interesting to know that A New Hope 20 years later with these kids is like the next major thing that happens. Yeah, I definitely have thoughts about that. I feel like we'll get to them naturally. I was just thinking, can you imagine being in theaters when Order 66 is happening? It was very surprising. Oh, you were. You were in theaters when Order 66 was happening. (laughs) It was. um, It speaks to. So at the time before. So this all this is from 2005. Right. And then the Clone Wars came out in 2008. And that was a bit of a retcon of the way the clones operated, because in episode two, Attack of the Clones, it's remarked that the clones will obey any order given to them. And so if they were indoctrinated with the order to just, hey, Order 66, kill all Jedi, don't ask questions, that kind of makes sense too. And I think as part of the Clone Wars of wanting to tell a story about these clones with their own different personalities Mm. and such, Dave Filoni was like, I have to make it so that there's something more because you can't just have friends kill friends in that capacity because if they've been serving together for three years, they aren't going to be like, ah, yes, kill them all. So were people losing their minds in theaters? Like, what was the vibe? Oh, everyone was like, that movie was great. That movie was really dark. This was actually the first PG-13 Star Wars movie. Wow. And it was incredibly dark. And the lines kind of were immediately silly. Uh, There was a bootleg a Chinese bootleg that came out of the movie because um, early 2000s, there were a lot of like, it was it was the golden age of internet piracy. Okay. <laughs> and so you could like acquire any movie from wherever, but it'd often be a dubbed bootleg from another country. And there was a famous scene, the very scene where Vader is screaming and says no, that was mistranslated in Chinese. And it says, do not want. Oh, oh no. God, that's even better internet humor in 2022. <laughs> yeah. So that's... It's that a classic scene era. Wasn't great, but no, and it's been um that's one that's been worked on. So since this, there's been a, a little bit of work done for special editions and and tweaks and improvements. And 
Lucas was like, I'm going to add more no. And then he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to add less. No. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's not the no. It was the, it was the awkward standing up and sort of rotating his body while he's screaming no. Yeah. If he'd fallen to his knees, it would have been great. Yeah. I wonder if he doesn't trust his knees because they're, you know, they've got zero miles on them. Oh, no. Yeah. Those are brand new. I loved this movie because it felt confident mm-hmm. in a way that the previous two prequel movies didn't. Oh, yeah. It's got this furious pace and this intensity and this inevitability, right? I think this is where the prequel movie really gains from having come out after the original trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, there's some absolutely beautiful notes in this one that correspond with a lot of the scenes of Return of the Jedi, Mm. which is really cool. And the inversion of those notes changes things. Also, up until this point, you know, Return of the Jedi has a pretty epic lightsaber duel. This is an absolutely bonkers lightsaber duel in the second half of Revenge of the Sith. I love hearing that there are call forwards from Revenge of the Sith to Return of the Jedi, Mm -hmm. right? Because I haven't seen the original trilogy movies in so long that I don't remember what happens in them. Yeah. But I read this really fantastic review from 2005. A.O. Scott was writing this for the New York Times, and he said, the inverted chronology turns out to be the most profound thing about Star Wars. Taken together and watched in the order they were made, the films reveal the cyclical nature of history, Mm -hmm. which seems to repeat itself even as it moves forward. Democracies swell into empires. Empires are toppled by revolutions. Fathers abandon their sons, and sons find their fathers. Movies end. Life goes on. Rinse, lather, repeat. Mm -hmm. How great is that? Yeah. Yeah, the original the original viewing order for this for a long time was watch them four five six one two three because that's the order they came out in and it was really important and this is the Star Wars finale for an entire generation of people. This is the one that tells the absolutely climactic scene of why and how. Anakin was defeated. Wow. Because the reveal that Anakin and Darth Vader are the same person comes much later to all of the major characters. Yeah. And watching this with an eye for some of the details, particularly that we've learned, um, because I'm a little ahead in uh, Disney content right now. I've watched Kenobi, but not Andor. Uh Kenobi thinks that Anakin's dead. Kenobi oh. 100% believes that Anakin <gasps> is dead. Oh my God. Which is why, of course, like everyone's like, why did he take him to, why did he take Luke to live with his in laws on Tatooine? It's like, dude, he's dead. You oh know? no. Yeah. And Yoda is so defeated and has to go into exile. And the Jedi are so defeated and they don't know what to do. And they just can't bear to look at each other themselves anymore. The, the absolute agony of them is is so brutal to watch in this watch through having spent more time getting to know the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. I think that is told so beautifully in the color story of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, if Phantom was browns and blues and Attack of the Clones was stormy grays, this movie is red and black, right? Yeah. Sith colors. Yeah. And then by the end of the movie, by the denouement, 
we deepen into these grays and blues and purples during Padme's funeral scene and then on Tatooine. Mm -hmm. The sun is setting all over the galaxy. This movie ends in darkness. Was that a sunset or was it a sunrise? That is a great question, Sam. Maybe it was a sunrise. It felt like it was to me. It felt a little nicer. That's a little more hopeful. Yeah. So big picture, there's a moment where Palpatine is fighting Yoda and he says, Lord Vader is more powerful than either of us. Yeah. And I think that that's true in that exact moment. I think young three quarters human limbs, Lord Vader Uh is more powerful than Darth Vader was ever able to become. Wow. I feel like the... This is and this is a pretty common refrain that like Darth Vader had to work, he was chained into the suit by mm-hmm, Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Because like we've seen people come back from pretty grievous injuries. I mean, even in uh even at the beginning of this movie, when Obi-Wan gets his freaking legs crushed. Oh my god. Obi-Wan is like limping on a dislocated kneecap of this whole yeah. movie. Yeah. And then he he gets better because Jedi do and Anakin Vader is like unable to ever heal because he's been so burnt up by swimming in lava, you know, it just wrecked him. And so he is so much weaker. And I wonder if like that is the new hope that Darth Vader in the iconic Darth Vader suit is a weakened version of what the galaxy was capable of. Because when Lord Vader is talking with Padme on Mustafar, he says, I'm more powerful than Palpatine. And he probably knows that because he's like, I can beat Mace Windu. Palpatine can beat Mace Windu. I can fight off force lightning. You know, I can do this. I could I could overthrow Palpatine until he couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I love that we're talking about Palpatine and Lord Vader because I do really want to talk about Palpatine. Palpatine is so masterful in Uh this movie. I mean, in more ways than one. You know, Anakin calls him master. Mm -hmm. Also, Ian McDermott is able to just turn up the crazy on Palpatine when he becomes evil. He cranked the volume on his depiction of Palpatine so hard. And there's so many scenes where he is gleefully cackling. He's giving in to the dark side. Yeah, he really feels uncontrolled in this movie. He's like snarling and growling and cackling and just making weird noises just to make weird noises. And he's got his lightsaber moves, which are very horrifying because he'll like pull up his lightsaber so he can skewer you with it like a lance. And the Jedi don't know how to combat that. They've never fought that style of lightsaber before with stabbing. That moment in his chambers when his lightsaber swooshes out into his palm and he corkscrew leaps Mm -hmm. at the four Jedi who came to arrest him, they just didn't stand a chance. Like, they just passed away on the spot. Yeah, yeah. I was reading this morning as I'm researching for this that in one of the recent Darth Vader comics, I think it's Darth Vader number 35, Darth Vader is on his castle on Mustafar because that's where he ends up building it. And he's communing with an ancient Sith and the Sith says, you're using the dark side wrong. 
This is Darth Momin. You're using the dark side wrong. You don't get to control it. You just try to like hang out, like fulfill its will and it will empower you. Whoa. And I feel like that is what Palpatine was doing. He was just a channel and it was rushing through him. And he was able to cut down three very highly skilled Jedi in one second. I mean, Kit Fisto went down like a... I mean, we can't say the word on this G-rated podcast. A sack of potatoes. Like a sack of potatoes. And we've seen Kit Fisto fight General Grievous to a standstill. Kit Fisto is a horrifying monster in a great way, and he just keeled over. Mace Windu was able to fight him, and it's a sort of quasi-canon thing that Mace Windu treads the line with his Vapod style between the light and the dark. Yeah. And he was able to return the dark side energy of Palpatine onto Palpatine. And perhaps that is what strung Palpatine out. But then Palpatine's lying the whole time. Every he he switches from telling the truth to lying in the second half of the movie. I love that scene so much because when Anakin rushes in, Palpatine is shooting force lightning at Mace. Mace is holding it off with his lightsaber. Mm-hmm. They're both screaming that the other one is a traitor. Yeah. Palpatine's face is melting. Yeah. Mace is snarling. And then Palpatine screams i have the power to save the one you love you must choose this is like the mortis arc all over again Mm -hmm. right and anakin is trying to tread a course of using this interaction as a litmus test right but palpatine has so masterfully set him up that when mace tells anakin that palpatine is too dangerous to be left alive And Anakin says that's not the Jedi way. It's like the final turn of the screw in Palpatine's plan, Mm -hmm. right? To turn Anakin to the dark side by making him believe that the Jedi are corrupt. There's so much going on in that scene, and it's so perfect. And the timing is just right, too, because Mace had just said, you're under arrest when he had Palpatine lying there in his own, you know, Sith juices. (laughs) Which would have, I think maybe been palatable for Anakin and maybe not. Maybe he was too far gone. I love that it's almost impossible to tell what Anakin is thinking Mm -hmm. and when he truly decides to turn to the dark side. Yeah, it's a long process because after killing Newt Gunray, big rip for Newt Gunray, he's sitting (laughs) there and... Medium medium rip for new gunray. Yeah, he's sitting there on Mustafar overseeing the, you know, lava factories where they make lava, and you see him crying. Ever since Anakin looks out across Coruscant and Mm -hmm. seemingly decides to come to Palpatine's aid, there's almost always tears on his face, and I think that's so beautiful. But Palpatine... Yeah. Because we're talking about Palpatine. We're talking about Palpatine. I love that Palpatine's dialogue is so carefully diminutive Mm -hmm. to Anakin. Every time he's talking to Anakin, once Anakin becomes Lord Vader, Palpatine is saying things like, you will become a powerful Sith. Only after you kill all the younglings will you be strong enough with the dark side to save Padme. He so carefully keeps Anakin as his subservient, right? And I think that's particularly important given what you just told me about Lord Vader, that Lord Vader might have been more powerful than his master. And then it seems that the Darth Vader suit is another way to enslave Anakin and weaken him so he can't overthrow Sidious. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's a, a common fan theory that the suit keeps Vader weak and Vader has to overcome the suit in the next 25 years. Another thing with that is that did Palpatine throw the duel? That's what I wrote down. I wrote down, could Mace have killed Palpatine or was Palpatine just feigning to fall down because he was waiting for Anakin to get there, to, to use this to turn Anakin once and for all? I think he was. <laughs> and then from this point when Palpatine's lying, it's like he's saying, I he's saying to Anakin, I know this isn't like 100% what happened, but this is the messaging we need to carry forward. And so he he starts lying and Anakin starts tell, retelling his lies because when Anakin's talking to Padme, he's saying they tried to kill the Chancellor. Palpatine is setting up this whole situation and now it's ready to go. But I do think that Palpatine might have been correct when he said, you will only be powerful enough in the dark side after you kill the younglings. I wonder if that action is fulfilling the will of the dark side and making Anakin into Lord Vader. Oh, absolutely. Wow, I was just sitting here thinking that if Palpatine was head of a PR firm, like, he'd also be unstoppable. <laughs> He's just good at that marketing, man. Mm -hmm. He's got the messaging down, Pat. There was a thing that I super loved about... I, I almost feel like it is a privilege to have been able to see the Clone Wars TV show before watching Revenge of the Sith because there's so much that I'm able to fill in the cracks with. Mm -hmm. And when Palpatine is talking to Anakin, I guess Lord Vader, when Palpatine is talking to Lord Vader mm -hmm. after Lord Vader pledges his service, he says... To cheat death is a power only one has achieved. But if we work together, I know we can discover the secret. And it was so delightful to know that Palpatine is wrong. Because we saw Qui-Gon and Yoda and all of the Force priestesses who discovered immortality in the Clone Wars Season 6 without ever crossing to the dark side. Well, isn't that interesting? Because basically the very next scene, well, after the fight, when we're in Denouement, that Yoda is talking with Qui-Gon, or Yoda is talking with Obi-Wan about Qui-Gon and says, a friend, an old friend, has discovered the secrets to force immortality and you need to learn them as well. So everyone's seeking immortality, but only Yoda, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan have actually found it in a meaningful way. Yeah. And Anakin has destroyed everything by seeking it. You know what I was thinking at the end of this movie is that there were two Jedi to face off against two Sith. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the Jedi walked away almost physically unscathed. And the Sith walked away completely eviscerated. Yeah. And although the Sith have the physical power, their spiritual power is weakened. Yeah, I feel like the Jedi walked away stronger with scars emotionally, spiritually, mm -hmm. not really physically, but they walked away to live and fight another day and they have the secret of immortality. And the Sith appear more powerful, but I think they were hurt more in this final confrontation. Yeah, I think so too. And Which, you know, says a lot about how Star Wars is a tale of morality, right? And how the light side preserves more than it destroys. But I, I think that's very hopeful in and of itself. Yeah. Well, that's why 
despite this being an incredibly dark movie, and it's definitely the darkest of the original six movies, uh, it's still a hopeful story. Yeah, I it's mean, it's a bombastic story. Yeah, the final final scene, I guess maybe is uh, I'm not sure if this is the final final scene. It's the final scene with Vader, Palpatine, and Tarkin overseeing the construction of the Death Star in clean Imperial lines. And there's no dialogue or anything. They're just sitting there overlooking it. And it's the Imperial lighting from the original trilogy. But that's still somehow hopeful because to viewers, they think, wow, that thing only, that thing's going to take like 20 years to build. (laughs) And then it's going to blow right up the second time they try to use it. So, Well, even for me, and I don't remember the trilogy, the original trilogy Mm -hmm. at all, right? I'm basically going into this as a fresh viewer Star Wars borrows so much from the classic Western canon, the literary canon, Mm -hmm. right? And so Revenge of the Sith is a tragedy. But the thing about a tragedy is that it ends in catharsis. You don't walk away feeling like you'll never be happy again. You walk away having had a huge emotional experience and you have suffered grief and you've had realizations, but you walk away thinking differently about your life, right? So I was sad when I finished Revenge of the Sith, but I wasn't in despair. Not even knowing what's going to happen next, I wasn't in despair because there were enough seeds of light across the galaxy that I felt like there was more to come. I wonder if it's the fire imagery that does that because Mm. the... (laughs) I mean, so much of our American movie-making body of work is based in Hollywood, based in California. And the original trilogy had so many scenes filmed in Northern California. And many of those forests require fire for a cycle of rebirth. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's a message that's being carried on as well, that through cleansing with fire, a new something can be reborn. Oh, love that you brought up rebirth by fire mm-hmm. because I have some thoughts but before I think about that I actually want to ask you what did you think about Padme's death so Padme's death was kind of panned as like why is she dying and also why is the medical care in this universe so garbage that a woman can die in childbirth and also like they didn't know she was carrying twins because ultrasounds well okay so a couple things (laughs) so so actually this scene has both aged poorly and well i read a think piece like 10 years ago about how the Star Wars universe is what happens when all of the money goes to weapons and none yes. of it goes towards education or medicine. Yes. And I think that's very funny but and true. Okay, so in everyone's defense, in, in, in defense of Lucas, I guess, in defense <laughs> of the original plotting of this movie, 
Padme had been force choked by Lord Vader, and his force choke is something where he was siphoning energy out of her. And also, he might have not known his power because we've seen Anakin force choke people before, but that was before he straight up bathed in the blood of younglings to gain full on dark side powers. Oh my God. So maybe he is like, I'm going to like shut your vocal cords, and all of a sudden he crushed her windpipe. So then she's sitting there attempting to give birth with a crushed windpipe, although apparently, according to the droid, she's fine. But maybe, like, her soul has a crushed windpipe or something. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So the other thing, why didn't they know it was twins? Uh Okay, her medical records are on Coruscant. She didn't take them with her when she went to confront her husband on the lava factory planet. (laughs) And, like, all of a sudden, there's been a revolution. An empire has been declared, and they're hiding. So it's not like they can call up and be like, oh, hey, Doc, uh, you're treating Padme Amidala. Can we have her medical records? You think there's HIPAA in Star Wars? (laughs) Well, I just think that they're not going to be like, hey, we have a pregnant senator here because the emperor is going to be like, oh, pregnant senator, you say, I need to resolve that situation with a vengeance. To be fair, it's possible that Padme never got an ultrasound because she is the secret wife of a Jedi, was actively concealing her baby bump with her costumes. Maybe she never went to go get checked out at the OBGYN. Which is real dumb. So that, well, I'm going to refrain from judgment on this matter. The reason that I... Well, so what did you what did you think about it? I wonder if Palpatine was actually telling the truth. I wonder if Anakin had force choked the life out of Padme from some interminable distance away to keep himself alive oh, on Mustafar. That is fascinating, Sam, because there are so many scenes as Anakin is falling to the dark side where Padme is having the same experience as Yoda, Mm -hmm. where you can see her in pain and knowing on some kind of emotional or spiritual level what Anakin is going through. I was almost thinking to myself, is Padme Force-sensitive? Is she linked to Anakin through the Force enough that she is feeling what he is feeling and experiencing what he is experiencing. And that makes so much sense that as he's dying on Mm -hmm. Mustafar, he's sucking energy out of her to stay alive. Ooh, I wonder. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. So I had so many thoughts about Padme because I always have thoughts about Padme. And the reason that I was thinking about them in this moment is because you were talking about the fire imagery Mm -hmm. and someone online, and I wish I could remember who said this, but it was a very cool Tumblr account. Someone online said that their read of Revenge of the Sith is that Lord Vader was born in fire Mm -hmm. while Padme returns to the water on Naboo where she was always happiest. Mm. And there's a ton of symbolism in Padme's funeral scene that I think is so true to that. I mean, Padme's funeral, it's part Ophelia, right? Yeah, it is. The flowers in the hair, the blue of the dress, having the funeral parade on Naboo by the water, right? So Ophelia drowns herself. This imagery is also very Virgin Mary. A little bit. The Virgin Mary is almost always depicted wearing blue, Right. Mm -hmm. And that's because, you know, this happened after 500 AD. There's a big Byzantine influence on like Christian imagery. The Virgin Mary was almost always depicted wearing blue because it's signaling her her royalty. 
like it's it's depicting her as an empress, right? Hmm. And what I picked up on is that in this movie, Padme is almost always wearing blue when she's she, with Anakin. She is. She also she's wearing blue in Watto's shop in the Phantom Menace when she meets him for the first time. Mm-hmm. She's wearing blue the whole time in Attack of the Clones when then when they're on Tatooine. She's wearing blue for a lot of this movie, and she's buried in it. Yeah. And to me, it just feels like the symbolism is fire for Vader, water for Padme. Mm-hmm. She's returning to the water where she was happiest on Naboo. He's being reborn in fire. I was just thinking, I mean, this is my big spun out headcanon, mm-hmm. right, for Padme's death. Because obviously, I think Padme is not well served by this movie. I think she's depicted as really passive. Yeah. And that's... Not how we have seen Padme act previously mm-hmm. in any of the media that we've watched over the last two years. Well, it's paternalistic to have a pregnant woman be, you know, not capable of like the physical action Padme stuff we've seen from her before. Yeah. So whether or not that's true, what I finally came around to thinking is that Padme was, if not physically, then emotionally leaving Anakin for most of this movie. Yeah. She spends so much of the film dreaming about running away to Naboo to raise their baby. And she asks Anakin to do that, to let all the power go aside. And she says, you know, we can totally do this. Like, I'm healthy. We can go to Naboo. No one will find us. We have this cool ship. Yeah, but she is pictured so often in her pajamas at home in this movie, just kind of dreaming. And the thing about dreaming about your life is that you're not really living it. Mm -hmm. And when you're dreaming about running away to Naboo with your secret husband who doesn't want to do that with you, you're dreaming about somebody and you're not really with them. And all this blue that she wears, all this daydreaming that she's doing, all this passivity in her – I think she's just pulling away. And when she dies, I think maybe she just decided it was time to go home. Maybe. And her last words are, they're still good in him. Yeah. Talking about Anakin. Which, it's true. And the thing about that is that she then gives up. She passes all of the responsibility of living onto the living. Mm -hmm. And I don't hate her for that. I think she was too tired. I think... She was tired of living a lie. I think she was tired of the pain of being away from the one she loved, of the duplicity, of the politicking. It was just time to go home. It was time to rest. Yeah. Rest is radical. (laughs) And rest for women is super radical. So my 2022 read of this movie, let Padme rest. Wow. She lived an entire life by the time she was 27 She was a child queen. She was a soldier. She was a senator. She was a secret wife. She she was a mother. And she never really got to be a girl. And she never really got to rest. So let her rest. Wow. Hashtag let Padme rest. (laughs) That's my final word. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Beautiful Padme Skywalker. You were loved. Yeah. And now you don't have to work anymore. Meanwhile, poor Anakin's got a real tough job now. Yeah. So shout out to Hayden Christensen Mm -hmm. for some phenomenal acting this movie. 
Yeah, especially the scenes early on in Mustafar where it was just completely the emotions were so crazy and he was delivering them not hammed up. No, I mean, when he sinks down in front of Palpatine to pledge his loyalty mm -hmm. and become a Sith, it's like he can't even keep his head up or his eyes open. The despair has overcome him. Yeah, it's so perfect. It's like he's completely submitting to Palpatine's power. Mm -hmm. And the tears on his face and the anguish that he's feeling and the rage that he's trying to blot it all out with, it was beautiful. I wonder if in that scene, Palpatine was controlling his emotions using the Force. Ooh. Because at that scene, I believe Palpatine, this is a Sam theory, I believe that Palpatine is actually at his most powerful in that scene when he insta-gibs three Jedi. That he is, was like feeding off the death energy? Yeah. Wow. That might be, you know, me thinking too much about feeding off of death energy, but... No, I love that. I just, I don't think he had to. I think Anakin was in such thrall from his overwhelming need to save Padme mm -hmm. that Palpatine didn't need to do anything extra. He had Anakin wrapped around his pinky finger by Anakin's own doing. That's the tragedy of Darth Vader, is that Darth Vader causes everything that he went to the dark side to avoid. He kills yeah. his wife. Mm -hmm. His children are scattered across the galaxy. He falls to the dark side. He's not seemingly the chosen one. He gives everything up, including his healthy body, his warrior capability mm -hmm. for nothing, to be alone in the galaxy. Before the Clone Wars came out, you brought up the Chosen One. And before the Clone Wars came out, there was a far out theory that perhaps Palpatine created or um, Plagueis created Anakin. And Anakin might not be the Chosen One. Huh. Created him with midi-chlorians? Yeah, because in the opera scene, in the first half of this movie... Darth Plagueis the Wise is, has the power to create life. Oh. And maybe he used midichlorians to create Anakin and then set this whole thing in motion. Or perhaps not. Darth Plagueis impregnated Shmi with midichlorians? That is a theory. Freaky deaky. And according to the movies, like, yeah, could be. You. Which kind of is backtracked later in the Mortis arc because it does seem like Anakin is the chosen one in some capacity, but perhaps the uh, concept of the chosen one is the broken bit. And that's actually what Obi-Wan says to him. You were the chosen one. You're supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. But at the end of the movie, there's two Jedi and two Sith. There's mm -hmm. balance in the force. That is deeply true. And I love that. Mm -hmm. There's a final thing that I have to talk about. Let's do it. Which is, there's this blink and you miss it moment with Obi-Wan that made me re-fall in love with Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> so when he meets up with Bail and Yoda, mm -hmm. and he finds out that there's the signal going out to all the Jedi, telling them to retreat to the Jedi Temple, which we know is a trap. Yeah. And Obi-Wan says, well, then we have to get to the Jedi Temple. And I'm like, is Obi-Wan stupid? And then he basically says, we have to go walk into the trap swarming with 10,000 clone troopers to stop the signal before anyone else gets caught. Yeah. And I'm like, is Obi-Wan the love of my life? 
He's the bravest. <laughs> he's the bravest. He's the wisest. He's the kindest. He's the best. I was sitting there and I'm like, my beard's too scruffy. And Anna's like, how old is Ian McGregor when he filmed Revenge of the Sith? He's about your age now, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, Sam looks very much like you and McGregor at 36. <laughs> so I was just kind of admiring you. Uh-huh. My real life Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I just, I love it so much. Well, that sounds like a good segue for Baywatch. Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? It's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Sam, who's your bay? Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi himself. Tell me why. Uh... For what you said with the bravery, for what you said when Bale gets the call, phone direct from Masameda saying, hey, come on back to the Senate chambers. We need to elect a dictator. And <laughs> we need to elect a dictator. Yeah. Okay. I mean, dictators are. And Bale Organa is like, this is a trap. And Obi-Wan's like, I don't think so. They still need like a bureaucracy to run things. But this is great because this means I need to f- kill fewer people on the way to the uh, the Jedi Temple archives for fighting the way he did on Mustafar. Because on Mustafar, he defends and defends and defends. He he seems like he's always losing to Anakin, but he's absolutely not. He's just getting himself into a position that works. And he is actually following the Soryasu form, where he tires his opponent out. He matches them and defers to them until his opponent is tired Mm. and then he can defeat them. And that is what he gets to is he says it's over and can I have the high ground? He's like four feet above him. It's not actually a big deal. Except it is. Except it is. And except that he's got his readied action. He's got his move. He's practiced this. He knows that the high ground maneuver is the move. He must've practiced a thousand times in his head because Darth Maul had the high ground on Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan had to learn how to move past it. He's learned that inside and out. That's been his whole thing the whole time. He's like the chess master who has boxed his opponent into a corner and Mm -hmm. he's telling his opponent checkmate. And his opponent is like, no, where? Mm -hmm. And he's like, I have you. And It's not the high ground. It's the metaphysical high ground. Mm. He knows that the force of light will defeat the forces of darkness. Wow. And he knows that he can defeat Anakin. It's like what Kenobi says to Maul after Satine's death. Mm. It takes strength to resist the dark side. Only the weak embrace it. Yeah. And Obi-Wan has that strength and he's proven it and he is ready to fight. And I glossed over this a little bit in the in the recap, but when Obi-Wan says, you are my brother, Anakin, I loved you. Mm. In one reading, that's him carrying the message from Ahsoka, because the last thing Ahsoka said to Obi-Wan was, tell him. And Obi-Wan says, I will. Oh. And in another reading, they are brothers. And in the past tense, I loved you. Obi-Wan has recognized, as Yoda told him, that Anakin is dead. Yeah. And 
it takes more for other people to recognize that Anakin is dead. Anakin hardly himself recognizes he's dead, but Obi-Wan recognizes that Anakin has been killed by Lord Vader. Wow. And he gets to do cool Jedi stuff at the beginning when Cody shoots him off the wall. And Oh, Revenge of the Sith is Obi-Wan's movie. It really is. And he's just... He's great. He's still a happy warrior in the first half. He's even a bit of a happy warrior in the second half from time to time. Yeah. And he manages to exude empathy to be a strong person and to win his fights without breaking his principles. And that's something that no one else is really able to do, even Yoda, Mm. because Yoda has to run. And Obi-Wan doesn't. Yeah. Obi-Wan is the only one who seems to really choose his own path at the end of this movie. He does. He does. Because as much fun as it was, as I was in this watch through, I'm like, why didn't one of the twins go with Yoda to become a swamp creature? Yeah, right? Way more fun. So fun. fun. (laughs) But Obi-Wan drops off a baby to the Skywalkers and then rides off into the sunset and is like, yeah, this is my life now. I have a lot of lessons to learn. Yeah. That's very cool. That is very cool. There's a deleted scene where Anakin and Obi-Wan are like negotiating the elevator shaft oh, yeah. in, in Grievous's cruiser. We're going to talk about the deleted scenes in Spice Run. because like, We're going to talk about this on our Patreon. So if you haven't subscribed yet, this is a great week to do it. Yeah. But Anakin is um, – there's this really great little bit of banter Obi-Wan is like, Anakin, you have a lot to learn. And then Anakin's right. And Obi-Wan's like, oh, it turns out I have a lot to learn. And I think that's so perfect. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's my bay. And why? Who is your bay? My bay is Bail Organa. Ooh, spicy. I knew immediately. And honorary shout out to Chewie because Chewie has the best scene in this movie, which is where he's making sad Wookiee noises at Yoda as Yoda is taking off from Kashyyyk in his escape pod. And Yoda's like, miss you too, Chewbacca. I will. And I'm like, I miss Chewie. I want more Chewie in this movie. It's such a funny scene because like Chewbacca and Tarful are sitting there and they're like, yes, this battle is going great. And then all of a sudden the clones try to kill Yoda. Yoda decapitates them and Yoda's like, let's go. And Chewbacca and Tarful are like... Huh. <laughs> oh, how the turntables. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how this is going to look tomorrow. This is kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, but no, my bay is Bail Organa, and it mm-hmm. always was this half of the movie. Wow. Because he's always somehow where the action is thickest, and he always knows what's up. Mm-hmm. And he warns Kenobi, and he rescues Yoda twice, and he's three steps ahead of everybody. And but he's not a force user. He's just a dude in a cool blazer. He's just a dude in a cool poncho. With a cool car. With a cool car. More importantly, I think, is that he was so quick to adopt Leia. Mm. I've always, I mean, this is kind of personal. I've always felt like there's something kind of wrong with me that I don't want to have children. Mm. But then I see people like Bail Organa who has a beautiful wife and a beautiful life and someone gives him the chance to adopt a baby girl and he immediately thinks, I've always wanted a baby girl. My wife has always wanted a baby girl. We will love her. We will love her like she is our own. Mm -hmm. And somehow the existence of people like that makes me feel like it's okay to be the way that I am. Yeah. 
So for some reason, like Bail Organa just leaping at the chance to love someone else's baby made me feel just like good about the world. And that really shows the true power of friendship Mm. because no one else in this movie really has a friend. (laughs) (laughs) No one in this movie has friends. Okay. Tarful and (laughs) Chewbacca are probably friends. Yeah. Yoda and Chewbacca friends. Love that for them. Um, Everyone else has a master and apprentice vibe or a brother's vibe or a, some sort of thing writ on violence vibe. Padme and Bail Organa have been friends forever. Forever. And it's that wonderful relationship where there's like no sexual chemistry at all because Bail's like, here is my beautiful wife. And Padme's like, cool, I'm banging a Jedi. And Bail's like, cool. <laughs> yeah, like fist bump. Let's go do let's go do cool Senate stuff together. Let's be wonderful co-workers. Let's scheme together. Let's like be these wonderful speakers who grow with each other. I mean, Balin had made platonic friends forever. And then, of course, of course, Bale probably would have taken both if Yoda hadn't been like, they need to be separated. Yeah. C- can you imagine how nice it would be to be Luke and Leia raised by the beautiful Organa family on Alderaan? Like, what a beautiful life. I want that. Yeah. But Yoda said no. So I want Bail Organa to be my zaddy. Come on. (laughs) In that beautiful, like, utopian city underneath the Swiss mountains. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Petition for that story. And then Luke has to grow up in a mud hut in the (laughs) desert. I hate sand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it's definitely Bail Organa, and I feel really good about that. Wow. Cool. Cool. What a what a high level, like, I don't know. I always felt that Baywatch for the movies is like a more premier calling. So good on Bail. Good on Bail Organa. He deserved this. I love this for him. Bail Organa forever. All right, Sam, what are we watching next? Great question. What are we watching next? Uh, Siege of Mandalore, part two. We are finishing the Clone Wars. We've finished the prequels. We're finishing the Clone Wars. Does that officially put a pin on the prequel era? Yes and no. So I think we are going to call the prequel era after we finish Tales of the Jedi right after that. Okay, so the plan is that we are watching Tales of the Jedi on the podcast. We are doing one episode on Dooku's journey and one episode on Ahsoka's journey. Because they each get three episodes. And then we're going to call the prequel era. And then we're going to start in on The Bad Batch. And we're going to have some new branding. We're going to have a new intro. We're going to start a new phase of the podcast. It's a new season. It's a new (laughs) lease on life. Deeply exciting. Yeah, because Anna and I are also probably moving in together. For the first time ever. And we've got these new jobs and it's like a whole new life. It's going to be a new year. It's all good stuff. It's all coming up growing up Skywalker. And speaking of growing up Skywalker... We have so much leftovers and Patreon content. Now's a great time to join. And this time we're talking about the wonderful extended deleted scenes of 
Revenge of the Sith. So if you are interested in more Growing Up Skywalker content, you can become one of our monthly members. Membership start at just $3 a month, and we release bonus content every week. We are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the moment. <laughs> yep. <laughs> For as long as Twitter lasts. For as long as Twitter is alive, we'll be on Twitter. We will not be verified. <laughs> Who's we got get, $8 to spend? we got a lot of patrons, yeah. And send this episode to someone who makes you see the galaxy in a different light. Yeah. Yeah. Send it to that person. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.